I thought it was a good week myself. A, a good night. Uh, that feast we had the first night was fantastic. I've seen all that food, and I wondered where were all the people. <laughs> we had enough for a couple hundred people. And the, anyway, I was pleased with the food. It was great. It was and the the film was inspiring in a way. That's what I could get out of it too. I had a hard time hearing it too. Most of that's my own hearing. What I want to do is go, I want to touch back at, I'm going to hopefully conclude a three-part uh, sermons on um, calculating our commitment. Uh, last time, I want to go back over a little bit of it because to, to bring us back up to that point, in Matthew 7, Verse 21, it says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. I brought that out the last of the last sermon, primarily because I want us to realize that we made a commitment to the Father. We made a commitment to Christ. We made a commitment to ourselves. And sometimes, maybe we don't think about that hard enough that when... He said, Christ speaking or Emmanuel speaking to us said, anyone that says, Lord, Lord, doesn't mean that you can come and go to Sabbath services or you keep the Sabbath or whatever, you know, you do. Or you might pray and set a time limit on yourself or you don't find, although the scripture says, be in prayer always, always in prayer. And so it doesn't make any difference. Sometimes we, we say we do those things, we have our heart partly in it, but Christ is saying to us, not everybody. So he looks out at the heart. Remember Jeremiah 17.10 says that God looks into your heart. And Gordon did a sermon on the heart. And maybe we go back and realize how important our heart is. So God's looking down and saying, it don't make any difference how much you say, Lord, Lord. Because look at worldwide. Where is those that were your friends? Those you sat in services with 10, 15, 2 years, 20 years, whatever it was. Those are people that said, Lord, Lord. Where are they today? So Christ says, not everybody that says that will have that opportunity to be in the kingdom of heaven because their commitment level wasn't high enough. That's the problem. Went on to say we needed to calculate that commitment. And I ended up by saying the most devastating thing, I think, that any human being would find himself in a position of hearing was that which is said in Matthew 7.23 and they and then will I profess unto them I never knew you now think about that and you made a commitment to God and Christ we know says not everybody's going to be there but like there in Matthew 25, you know, the ten virgins, five of them 
didn't have their commitment apparently strong enough because they never kept enough of the Spirit of God or their studying or their change to be able to come up to that wedding supper with understanding. So they came and said to the five that were studying, the five that were committed people, that had really committed their life, and they came up to them and said, give us some of your commitment. Well, they can't do that. I can't give you my commitment. You can't give me your commitment. And what happened? They came to that wedding and Christ said, who are you? So our commitment, we need to sit down and really give it a great thought. And so I go into this sermon underneath the fact that I want to bring out, try to bring out, hopefully I can, that we need to acknowledge our own limitations. We all have limitations. It's like with the with this sound. I've got limitations. And the older I get, the more I forget. Uh, we have limitations here in this hall because it is not a, an acoustical building. I mean, this hard surface gives us this echo that we get. And we know that. We don't have $100,000 like they would at a movie theater to build their theater such that it would give you the best audio possible plus the best video possible. So we have certain limitations. We have to recognize those limitations. So what are our limitations? Well, first of all, why do we come here? How did you find yourself in this place or on the telephone at this time, listening to God speaking through some man. Well, we know in John chapter 6, verse 44 says that no man came to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him in the last day. So you're here... Not because you are who you are, but it is because of who you are. It's not because of your education or lack of education. It's not because of your uh, physical um, abilities to do a lot of things with your hands or your, your skills. No, it's because it says here the Father gave Christ permission to select you. In Romans 6, or chapter 1 rather, verse 7, Romans 1, 7 says, Beloved, he says, to all that are, uh, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. So we came out of Rome, out of Babylon, however you want to look at it. But you were called, specifically selected, because, again, God knows the heart. He looks down into your heart. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2 says that we are sanctified in Christ, Emmanuel, and called to be a saint. So we've got that calling. So if you've been called to do this, you've been selected for this job by God, then you have to be committed to that 
But you have to remember your limitations because we have limitations. Not our strength of our, our wisdom or our knowledge didn't bring us here. Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 28. Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God. Most people start stop right there, but it goes on beyond that. Things work together for those uh, to the good of those that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. So there are good people, but not all of people are called to God's purpose. You're here because He has a purpose in mind. And we've been listening to those purposes being brought out to us to lay the foundation of Israel, lay the foundation of the temple, to be a setup crew for what's coming in the future. That's God's purpose. You're here because God has a purpose for you. Verse 29, for whom he did foreknow. God foreknew you. It's... It's interesting when you look back in, in history, Samuel was foreknown, wasn't he? Remember, Hannah came into the temple, prayed to God, I want a child, and if you give me a child, I will dedicate him to you. God knew Samuel before he was born. Is it possible that God knew you before you were born? I think, and I feel, that everyone that heard Mr. Armstrong had the same ability, the same opportunity that each one of us have. Many were called, weren't they? God must have foreknown. He selected those. He called those. He must have known those people. He knew they had the opportunity but they didn't have the commitment level, did they? They shirked a responsibility. God knew Isaac before he was born. Knew Jacob, remember? He told uh, Isaac that you're going to have sons and, and the older will serve the younger. They, God knew them before they were born. So is it possible he knew you? I think it's possible. So in verse 29 of Romans 8, it says, For whom God did foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. So you're here to have an opportunity to be a part of the firstborn, be part of the bride of Christ. And that's something that we really have to focus on. Because if we don't, will we be around? If you're focused in on that, that you're going to be a part of the bride of Christ, how much are you working toward that? Do you really work hard enough toward being that bride? Remember the, 20, the ten virgins? Five of them realized they had to, to they had to do as much as they could, and even those five slept. They were laid to see in too, weren't they? Like the whole church. 
but they had enough to wake up and to start going forth and letting their light shine. 2 Timothy 1, verse 9. Whom has uh, saved us and called us to be, called us with a holy calling. So your calling and you're here because it is a holy calling. It's something special that God has done. Not according to our works. So it make a difference how, what works we had prior to our calling. Doesn't mean anything, does it? It's not according to your abilities. Remember in 1 Corinthians it says, not many wise and mighty and noble, because we don't see those people. We don't see the uh, men that are CEOs of massive companies or great orators. We don't see all those people. We don't see many of the rich, because God said He didn't call many of those. He chose the weak in the base to confound those people because He's hopeful that we will see that what we need to do. So it's not according to our works, but according to His purpose. So He looks at you. God knows each one of us individually. He wants us to be a part of His family. He loves us, as we heard, writing us love letters. You know, like Gordon was pointing out, a, a love letter from a man to a woman or a woman to a man that just keeps them focused in on where they want to go. So God's got a purpose for you. Each one of us has a special purpose. But how much of that purpose did we put our heart into? You know, you have to be wholehearted in what you do. Uh, Proverbs, I don't have it down. But Proverbs says that whatever your hand finds to do, whatever you're given to do, and God's got you here for a purpose, whatever you're given to do, you put your heart into it. You don't do a halfway job, a partway job. You don't do an 80% job. He wants it poured out from your heart if it takes your life. That is your commitment, how much you put into it. So you're given an opportunity to serve, an opportunity to do something. How much do you put into it? Sometimes we're faced with trials and tribulations, and who wants to do that? Who wants to... Go through a trial. I think I gave a sermonette some time back and said, don't ask God for something you don't really want. So sometimes we say, well, give me a trial. Well, maybe you don't want what you're asking for. Because you certainly wouldn't want to go through Job's trial. And I wouldn't want to have ever had to gone through Abraham's trial to be said, that's your son. I promised you that son. He's going to be, millions are going to come from him. Take him out and sacrifice him to me. Now here you have a son you love. And you've got to put him up on a wood pile and slice his throat. Are you ready to do that? Now, I don't want that trial. I'd like to be able to, you know, just 
keep going along and never have to suffer anything. But we need to be committed to this work, to what God's called you to do, and then put your heart into it. Whether it be prayer, whether it be Bible study, whether it be the sound, whether it be on this dig that we're doing. Do we put our heart into that? Do we say, I'm committed to doing this. God has shown through his servant that this is where we're supposed to go. This is what we're supposed to do. Are we doing that? We had one young man had his heart into it and, and got hurt. But he's still ready to go back and do it again. And that's great. But we have limitations a lot of times. Let's go to Luke and look at some of our limitations. That Sometimes we put limitations in front of ourselves. We say, well, it's too hard or too difficult or too long, too much time involved, too much this, that, the other thing. We limit ourselves, really. God doesn't limit us. Because he said he never put anything on you that you could not handle. And God is true to his word. He doesn't go back on his word. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Well, we did that, didn't we? We were baptized and we were said, do you accept Christ as your Savior? Do you accept Emmanuel as your personal Savior? Will you follow him? Will you do everything he asks you until death? You know, maybe we didn't ask you to say until death, but basically, that's what we're saying. Forever and ever. So here's a man who says, I'll do anything. I'm going to go with you, Christ. And Emmanuel said to him, Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now why would he bring that out? Apparently this person had a real nice house. And he really wasn't ready to camp out. <laughs> we do that at this day. We camp out. We don't have our nice homes. Well here, there are people, this man apparently didn't want to give up his home. Didn't want to give up this special, nice, warm dwelling he had, you know, and he had warm meals, you know, and a wife and family. What else would Christ have said? I have, I have no place in myself to put my head. You say you're going to go with me. Are you ready? Are you that committed to walk away from everything and be with me? No, this man limited himself. He had his own limitations. 59, and he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Oh, I've got other things, other commitments that are more important to me. And so they limit themselves. Now, how could God come up and say, I've got you to go over here and take care of this planet or whatever. Oh, well, I, I need to stay here for, see, we're not going to have that opportunity. We're doing that opportunity now. Now is judgment on the church, not tomorrow or next week. It's now. Not in the world tomorrow. So here this man wanted to go bury his father. He put a limitation. He limited himself to serving God. Christ said, 
Or Emmanuel said to him, Let the dead bury the dead, but go you and preach the kingdom of God. So here this man apparently has some capabilities. But he limited himself on his own personal thoughts. 61. And another said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first bid them farewell, which are at the house. Again, a person's limiting himself. He has another God, another thing that's more important than Christ. So we say, how is our commitment? What have we set? What criteria have we put that's going to keep us from following God all the way? And Emmanuel said to him, No man, having set his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of heaven. How many people set their hand to the plow, set their hand and said, I'm going to go and do this way, where are they today? They turned around and went back. Well, he emphasized that. We cannot look at back. We have to continue going forward. Again in Luke now, 14, chapter 14, Luke chapter 14, verse 15. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's great. That's right. You're going to be blessed if you're there in God's way of life, eating bread with Christ. Verse 16. Then said Emmanuel to him, A certain man made a great supper and bid many. Bid many. Wasn't that what... Uh, happened? Didn't God call many people through Mr. Armstrong? He had a job. He was committed to his job. He called many people. He dedicated his life to that. So here many people have been called. Um, then said he unto him, a certain man made a supper and bid many and sent his servants at supper time to say to them that would bid, Come, for all things are now ready. Remember the ten virgins? Everything's ready. It's time to come. Some of them weren't ready, were they? And they all with one accord began to make excuses. They made their own limitations. Something was more important than what God had set in front of them. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I need go and see it. And I pray you have me excused. <laughs> can you say, can you think about yourself, go up there and think, well Christ, I'm, uh, I'm just not ready yet. Uh, excuse me, maybe I can come tomorrow or the next day. I'm not ready right now. Make an excuse. Excuse because I just don't want to be there. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. 
pray, I'd be excused. I, you know, I've got my job. Um, it really pays great. Um, I really don't have the time right now. Maybe, you know, I've got some other things to do. Another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And so the servant came and showed his Lord these things. And the master of the house, be, be, being angry, and no wonder. You know, God invested time into each one of us. I'd be angry, wouldn't you? you? Say you put up a supper. You invited ten people and you spent hours and hours preparing this beautiful meal. And you say, okay, come on now, I'm ready to, we're ready to start. We're going to start at six o'clock. Well, you know, I, I can't come. I, I got these other problems. The other things I want to do are more important. Especially what they're saying. God, you're not important to me at this moment in time. This other stuff is more important. My job, my family, my house, whatever it is, it's more important to me. And I don't, I don't think I want to come right now. Well, I'd be angry, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you get angry at somebody? <laughs> See if I ever asked you to come again. That's basically what we'd say. I'm not going to give you another chance. You know, you kind of shun me. So God's going to fill, he goes on to show that God is going to fill his bride. It's going to be filled. We know in Revelation it talks of 144,000. He's going to have 144,000. He gives us an opportunity. If we have something more important, if our commitment to our Father and to Emmanuel, our Savior and Husband, is not that important. You'll find somebody else. And once you lose that crown, there is no replacement. So you have one opportunity. That's now. Are we committed to that? Or are we going to make our own excuses and limit ourselves? Because that's what we're doing. Verse 28. Go back to verse 28. For which of you intending to build a tower, sits not down first and comes counts the cost whether you have sufficient to finish it. You were called. You had an opportunity to counsel. Didn't we sit there and say, it's a life and death situation we're talking about here? Did we count that as a cost? If I don't go all the way, it's death. If I go all the way, it's life. Do I have what it takes, or do I have these other commitments, or I have these limitations? I'm too weak. I hurt too much. Uh, I've got high blood pressure. So what? God promises to take care of you. Well, I've got this job. So what? You don't need that job. I will feed you. He's our healer, our protector, our provider. All these are his names as healer, provider, protector, our shield, our teacher. All those things are God's names. Do we commit ourselves to that point, or do we have limits? I'm limited to go this far and no farther. 
So ask, ask yourself, what have I limited myself to? What are my limitations? What am I putting before my Creator and my Father? Well, we say I, I'm, I'm just weak or I'm old or, and I had an opportunity of picking up a part last week in the store. The guy was talking about learning and how young people, when they get 15, 14, 15, all the way up through about 20, they know everything. That's like my wife says, that's the time you kick them out of the house. <laughs> you know too much. Go out there and do what you have to do. But when they get 25, they want to come back and say, you know, I'm ready to come home because I don't know everything. <laughs> but we're that way. I talked to that man and pointed that out. We all have limitations. And there are things that we can't do of ourselves. So we need help sometimes, don't we? We need help to achieve what we're doing. In Acts 6, where we know the story there in Acts 6, here are the disciples, the twelve disciples, apostles, men that, that God imparted special knowledge and special training into, were trying to do everything. They were trying to do all the physical things and all the spiritual things, and it got to the point that they had to realize, we can't do it by ourselves. It takes more. It takes a lot of help. So that's when they appointed deacons to do some of the physical things so that those that have the responsibility to teach, you know, Romans 10 talks about how you're going to learn unless you're taught and how you're going to be taught unless there's a preacher and, and how you're going to have a preacher unless God selects them. So we need help, and God gives us that help. And God said to those, those disciples, those apostles, you can't do it yourself. You need help. Well, we need help too, don't we? Isaiah 40, verse 28. Isaiah 40, 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? That the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, faints not, neither is weary, and there is no searching of his understanding. So here we're inspired by Isaiah to realize God has the power and the ability to help us. He's not going to sleep. Remember Elijah when he was... <laughs> out there and confronting the uh, priests of Baal and he chided with them and said, maybe God, your gods are off sleeping someplace or maybe they're chasing more women or whatever. They're not around. Well, our God's not that way. He doesn't faint. He created everything. He's not weary. We should go to him. The other parable, you know, of the, the lady who goes to the judge and asks and asks and asks for help and relief, and he gave a relief. That's for us. You know, I think I did a Bible study years ago. I think it was Peter, 
who prayed so much they they felt that his knees were uh, the calluses on his knees were like horses' hoofs because he prayed so much. And he asked God, he beseeched God, and beseeched God. And that's what we've been asked today. Daryl asked us to remember Fred and others that are sick and Gene. You know, do we really cry out to our Father? You know, he's not asleep. He doesn't get weary of us calling him. He wants to see how committed we are. Are we really a family here? Are we really committed to going to doing things His way? It goes on in verse uh, 29. He gives power to the faint. God will give power to the faint. And to them that have no might, He increases their strength. Well, as I get older, I see that I don't have a lot of strength in my hands. I can remember throwing 50-pound boxes, I mean, 90-pound floor, 90-pound boxes over my head for three and four hours at a whack. I do good if I can pick up 40 pounds now. I mean, I've tried picking up some 60-pound bags of cement, and they are heavy. And, and when we were up here on the dig and loading stuff on a crane, I couldn't pick up those things. And, and so I needed help. We all need help, and we need to help each other. We really need to give each other a lot of help if we can. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young shall uh, utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles, and shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. I look for that time to happen. Daryl preaches on that, brings that out, and causes us to think about it time and time again. And here, God's made that a promise to us. But we need God's strength to do it. And he said that he'll give us that strength. Ephesians 6. Ephesians, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Paul speaking says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So we're to be strong because we have limitations. But we're to be strong in the might of Christ and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand the wiles of the devil. So we need help. We need to put on that armament on a daily basis. We have to put it on. We cannot fight against the world and Satan. Our commitment has to be to understand that we can't limit what God's given to us. If we limit it, then we might not hear that call to the dinner. Or if we hear the call to the dinner, we might hear the words, I don't even know you. I don't know you. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's where our fight is against. We can't battle that fight without the right equipment. The armament that God has said that we should put on, the helmet, the breastplate, 
the right shoes, the right armament to fight that power. Moses himself, another example of one who found out that he couldn't do the job that he was trying to do, he found himself limited. He was out there trying to hear all the problems of all the people from sunup to sundown, and just couldn't do it. But his father-in-law pointed out, you need help. So we need help on our daily basis because we are physically limited, mentally limited in a lot of cases. And Moses was admonished by his father-in-law to choose captains of tens, fifties, hundreds, thousands to be able to deal with all these problems because he's wearing the people out. So we have limitations. Sometimes we don't think it. Sometimes we don't give it thought. Well, I'm, you know, we can say, I've got, I'm young, I'm strong, I've got all this knowledge, I've been studying the scriptures for years and years, and I'm really a good person, I've got a lot of this knowledge, I'm really great, if you want to say it. I know all these things. But then again, we can go back to Matthew, I mean, First Corinthians and read where God says, there's not many of you that are really great, are there? There are not really many that are great. Even though we might think we have the ability and the power to do all those things, we just don't. Zechariah 3, I'm sorry, Zephaniah 3, Zephaniah 3, verse 12. I will also leave in the midst of you an afflicted and poor people. So God looks down and says, look at this group of people here, here at Anatoth, an afflicted and poor people. I know that there's a number here that need jobs. They don't have jobs. So we're not the rich, are we? We're not the mighty. We're not the greatest in health. But God says he's going to leave an afflicted and poor people and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. So all we have, and we are richer than 99.9% of all the world because we have Christ. We have the Father. What we don't have is the riches of this world, do we? Even Christ in Luke 10 looks at us as being babes. Says there in Luke 10, verse 21, that, that he's revealed the knowledge of his, of the government of everything to babes. So, to Christ, we're babes. We're a poor, afflicted group of babes <laughs> in Christ's eyes. So we need help because we're not the great, mighty, and powerful of all this world. We can't come to Christ of our own strength. So in Isaiah 44, 10, uh, 18 rather, 44, 18, they have not known nor understood, for he has shut their eyes that they cannot see and their ears that they cannot, uh, and their ears that they cannot understand. So what God has done to the majority of the world, and you can go out there and preach till you're blue in the face. How many people do you think you're going to convert? Not, not enough, nobody that I know of. I mean, I tried it, I guess, when I was first called in the church. I tried to 
convinced my, my brother, who was a Jehovah Witness. I tried to cheat my other brother, who was, he's, what my father-in-law used to say, he belonged to the church, the round church, that's who the devil couldn't catch, you know, corner him. But he didn't do any good. People I worked with didn't do any good, so I learned real quick. You know, try to teach these people, because God says he shut their understanding down. He let not let them see or understand. And none consider in his heart, neither is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned a part of it in the fire. This is where it's talking about, we go out there and cut a tree down. And we make a fire to cook our food and keep us warm, and we build a house, and then we make a statue out of it and fall down and worship it. This is what the world's doing. But we're not to be doing those things. We should have our mind fixed that the only way our strength is going to come is through our commitment to Christ, our commitment to the Father, and a commitment to our Word. So we need to examine what values that we do have then. Remember, we went through and Daryl brought out about Esther. One of the things about Esther was that God put her in that position. She was selected by the Father and put in that position. And when push came to shove, Mordecai came and you know, Haman said, I'm going to kill all the Jews. Now, he was going to assassinate them. Eventually he would have taken out the king. He wanted to be the, the ruler because as that movie showed and as you, if you read through the scriptures you'll find that uh, Haman was Agag's relative. And he was supposed to have been killed by King Saul who didn't do this. He didn't fill his commitment because those people gave Israel a rough time when they came out of Egypt. And God said they're going to be destroyed. And King Saul had that opportunity, but he didn't do it. He didn't fulfill his commitment. He said, I will do what you have asked me to, Father, if you make me king. But somewhere down the line, he got this, I'm king. I'm great. I'm powerful. I don't have to do those things. But he lost his opportunity to be a king, didn't he? And he was supposed to have killed the king, and he didn't. So, in Esther's day, now Haman, who is a direct relative, was going to take out the Jews and try to complete the job that his forefathers had tried to do and wasn't able to. So Esther was picked, hand-picked. Now, she could have done like a lot of people, I had other things to do. And Mordecai came and said, Esther, just because you're the queen is not going to give you safety. When they kill the Jews, that means you too. Esther's commitment was, I will fast three days. And my maids are going to fast three days. And I'm going to go to the king. If I die, I die. And if I don't, 
I'm still going to do because I am committed all the way. That's what we're asked to do. A life and death commitment. And we know the end result was that finally, because, you know, Esther might not have wanted to, but as Mordecai said to her, if you don't, don't worry. Because God will bring another way. See, Mordecai was totally committed. He knew God would take care of the situation. But he put Esther in that position to handle that job like you've been given a job to do. You have a special job to do. We're to be a setup crew. We're to do what God directs us. We have that as a responsibility. We have a choice. We don't have to do it. We don't have to do it. But God's going to have a group of people help others when the time comes. And if we don't, he'll use somebody else. He's going to do it. He's going to complete it. And whether we build a temple or someone else does, whether we find what God wants us to find or someone else will. But Esther knew that. And Mordecai pointed that out. And we know that the end result was God's plan. In Hebrews 6, verse 1, we're told to go, let us go into perfection. That's what we can do. That's how we can, uh, that some of our values is going toward perfection. Proverbs 4, 18. Proverbs 4, 18 that we go on to perfection. We don't just stop where we are. We don't look for a, a, a something that will weigh us or wayside us or hold us back. We go forward. We must continually move forward. Our commitment has to be to do the job given to us no matter what comes on. We have to go, and that is to become perfect as God wants you to be. But the path of the just is as a shining light that shines more and more unto a perfect day. So the just are like a shining light to this world and to the church, those that are still yet to come. And the more and more every day, the more we are committed, the more we put into it, the more we shine. And the way of the wicked is darkness and they know not at what they stumble. So, you can have excuses. You can have things that you say, well, that's just going to keep me. Or you can have good sides, things that you can do. Um, Go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 1, Paul speaking, saying, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherein you are called. Paul admonishing us, we have a vocation, we have a job, and you can do that. You just have to walk worthy of that. 
with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another, loving one another. That's the good side of us. That's the part of us that will help us be a part of what God is doing. The value that you have for each other. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So we try to keep unified with peace. Not fighting, but peace. And trying to help out. In James, it tells us that if you see someone making a mistake, if you go to them and you, you know, that's this endeavoring to bring the unity of the Spirit, you go there and say, look, you're making a mistake. You know, iron sharpening iron. You know, I mean, help you do the right things. And if they change, then you've saved a spirit, what James was, was inspired to write. Verse 4, There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. So we all have that hope in that one calling, a calling to be a part of the family of God, and to be a part of the bride, come to that dinner, or do we make that excuse, I've got oxen, I've got a house, I've got family, I've got this, that, and the other thing. No, you have that one calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. God is in us. Unless we find an excuse. We can't find excuses. We've got to go forward. Our, our commitment is our word. I remember when I left Texas and went to Florida, I, I gave my word to a man, to a handshake. It didn't work for him. Mine was, I would work four years. I would pay half the expense and do all, and pay for all the labor. His was, he would pay the other half of the operational expenses, and he would supply all the equipment. And at the end of four years, I would begin to buy the equipment, the, the, oper- the whole business. But at the end of three and a half years, it had prospered well, and he forgot his commitment. He forgot his word. You know, your word and your commitment is the integrity that you have. If you give your word and it's not any good, then what's your integrity? People don't believe it, do they? One quote of integrity is, integrity is the glue that holds all relationships together. You give your word to God that I'm going to go that way. That's what holds you to his relationship, including the relationship between the leader and the led is and led is trust. And the trust is based on integrity. Do you trust God? Because God's integrity is impeccable. How about yours?
Do you give your word to God and you're going to do it? Or are you going to find an excuse to not do it? Another quote, Integrity is doing the right things even if nobody is watching. You do what's right. <laughs> you know, so many times we say, well, we're here. You know, don't eat this or that. You know, David, I, I'm sorry, Daniel and the, um, four, the four boys, that young boys or young men that were there, they, their integrity was they were not going to defile their bodies with the things that the king ate, whether the king was there or not. Well, sometimes we're told there are certain things we should do or don't do. But if Daryl isn't seeing it, what's well, okay, is it? Well, that's not what this quote is. Integrity is doing the right things even if someone doesn't see you do it. But we live in a society today that says if you do it in the darkness, you know, it's okay. Just don't be caught. So that's not integrity, is it? Another quote, integrity is the telling myself the truth. Telling myself the truth. You know, it's easy to lie to yourself, it's easy to lie to other people too, but to have integrity is telling yourself the truth, and honesty is telling the truth to other people. How good is your word? Are you... Can you say his integrity is fantastic? Here's a quote from, uh, I didn't write the quote down of all these people. This is from uh, uh, Governor Huckabee. I heard this yesterday. What a poor man has is his word, which is his integrity. And when he loses his word, he has nothing. So if you can't keep your word to Christ, isn't that what we already read? You have nothing. You don't have a part of the bride. You don't have a part of the wedding supper. You don't have a part in leading in the world tomorrow. Maybe he'll give you a chance to be a child somewhere down the line. But your word is your integrity. And if you give your word what you did, when you are baptized, you better keep it. Because if you don't keep it, then your word isn't good and you have nothing. Another quote. <clears throat> Real integrity is doing the right thing, knowing that nobody's going to know whether you did it or not. So it's... It's saying, yes, do the right things. You don't have to go over and say, hey, look what I did. You know, you want personal glory. No, you don't need personal glory. You just do the right things when they're needed. In Job 31.6, Job 31.6 says, let me be weighed in, the, in an even balance that God may know mine integrity. Job was trying to stand on the way he lived his life. And he said, I'm standing on my integrity. And he said, balance, you know, weigh me in a, in a right type of balance, you know, an equal balance, not an unweighted balance. 
Again in Psalm 7, verse 8, David speaking says, The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to mine integrity that is in me. So can we get on our knees and say, Father, judge me in righteousness. Judge me by my integrity. Judge me by what I have said I would do. Judge me by the way I respond to you. That I respond to what you ask me to do. That I respond to what I said I would do. 25, Psalms 25, 21. Let integrity and uprightness perverse me, preserve me, rather, preserve me. For I wait on you. So David said, I'm waiting on God. My integrity is, I believe, I trust in God. That's what our integrity should be. We have a great opportunity to do the right things. Proverbs 11, verse 13. I'm sorry, 11, verse 3. Proverbs 11, verse 3. The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of the transgressor shall destroy them. So again, it's saying that your word is your integrity and it stands. You have something. But if you don't have your word, it becomes perverseness because you're not trustworthy. It's going to destroy you. You won't have a part. 19 verse 1. Better is the poor that walk in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. So it's saying the same thing that we heard earlier in one of the quotes. Your word, your integrity. If that which comes out of your lips is not integrity, then you have nothing. And you won't have a part in what God is doing. We're told to seek God. Paul told us that. Christ told us that. Seek God while the opportunity is here right now. Hebrews 3, verse 13. Here's told us to help each other. He says, exhort one another daily while it's called today lest any of you be hard, hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So our integrity is to support each other. We said we'll do that. We came out here and said we're going to form a community. We're going to form a family. We're going to help each other. Whatever possible way we can, we want to help each other. Are we doing that? Is that what we're doing? Is that the way we act? Is that our response? Knowledge is, is a help to us, but the knowledge of your limitations, when you sit down, you know, like we're told to meditate time and time again, you know, Mr. Armstrong used to pray, study, meditate. 
pray, study, meditate. When we do that, when we start meditating and thinking about our limitations, first we have to go back and think that we've made a commitment. We have to remember that if we don't keep that commitment, we're going to have God say to us, I don't know you. So we need to think about what our limitations are and then gain the help to fight those limitations. When Christ was about to die, you know, his final prayer, you know, it tells us to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when he was about to die that next day, he cried out to the Father and said, I don't want to take this cup. You know, he was human. But he said, and you remember his words as we come to the Passover, it's very important when we go to the Passover to remember those things, that he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So in our commitment, we go back and analyze our limitations. We have to say, I'm limited, but not my will. I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that, I want to do it your way. Like Christ, who knew he was going to die, and his prayer was so strong, it was like blood coming out. But that's committed. That's what we're supposed to be. So Christ said, not my will, yours be done. I will go ahead and drink that cup because it is the Father's will. When trials come, when temptation comes, when we're swayed to do something other than what we're asked to do by the Father. And you know, we could say, well, God doesn't talk to me. But that's not the case. Because God talks to us through the one he puts to teach us. We have this book that God speaks to us in. We have those that God sent to teach and, and make them clearer. So no matter what the trial or tribulation or temptation or whatever it is, if God asks us to do something, we have to say, I don't want to do it, but not my will, not me, your will be done. We made that commitment when we were baptized. We need to go back, think about that commitment, think about what we have, the qualities that's in us, and the shortcomings in us. When we need help, it's here. God promised us that help. We can't do it on our own. We just can't. We need God's help. You've committed to a life or death opportunity. Life is part of the family of God, the bride of Christ. Are you committed? Are you ready to walk the same walk that Christ walked?